0: Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. Here at the Takshashila Institution, we've been tracking coronavirus updates from across the world fairly closely, as you'll know. One thing that's really stood out to us over the last few months is the fact that social media companies are now doing content moderation. All of a sudden, a lot of the claims that they didn't have the capacity to intervene seem to have dried up as companies cracked down on those who are spreading misinformation about the COVID-19 pandemic. To discuss what this tells us about the future of content moderation and the ways that the information environment around COVID and other issues will be shaped by it, I have with me Rohan Seth and Prateek wagre Hi guys. Hey. Hi. So Prateek, over to you. Tell us a little bit about what companies are doing new. What's different here? Sure. Uh,
2: And before I start, just one thing to point out, right? Content moderation as such is not necessarily a new thing for them to do. You know, I've I've quoted this before, uh, but as Salton Gillespie says, content moderation is the very essence of what what platforms offer, but we've started seeing it at a different scale, especially with with the coronavirus, right? And when it started off, both, you know, uh, let me take Facebook and Twitter as, as prime examples for now. Uh, when it started off, both of them promised ways to uh, address misinformation, right? Uh, So let's look at Twitter. Twitter said things like uh, they will provide a account verification for health organizations. Uh, They're going to, you know, they they started started displaying search prompts which would give you COVID-19 information. They put up event pages. They launched a know the facts kind of uh, section, right? And they also changed some of their policies on how they deal with Unverified claims. They they modified their ad policies. They define. They change the way they define right in the context of uh, the coronavirus. And you know the uh, the final part was that they transitioned some of their uh, moderation to a more algorithmic based one. Uh, Facebook, for its part, did some some similar thing, Right. They they had to get the fact section. Uh, they partnered with over. I think the per a Mark Zuckerberg uh, update on Facebook, they've partnered with sixty new. Uh, fact-checking organizations covering 50 languages, uh, and as of last week, they note they announced a new thing that you know they notify you when you've interacted with harmful misinformation. Uh, interaction in that context means if you've liked, shared, or reacted uh, to content, not necessarily if you've just seen it on your uh, on your news feed, right? Uh, and they've also said that in the month of March, they said you know about 4,000 articles that their fact-checking teams, has uh, a fact-checking partners. Uh, found uh, put labels on 95% of them pe- in, in those cases, people didn't go on to to view those, to view that content. So they certainly are trying to, to deal with the barrage of misinformation, disinformation, right? Uh, in the context of the infodemic, uh, as it's called. Yeah.
3: So my main takeaway from this, at least in the Indian context is that uh, I think it's great that Facebook and uh, Twitter are doing a bunch of things regarding misinformation, I think it's long overdue. And it's, I think the most evident uh, manner in which we see at least Twitter doing this is when you go to the search functionality in Twitter, so there's an option that says uh, COVID-19 and tweets by relevant Indian authorities, right? So it's it's great that these companies are doing this. Uh, my, my overarching concern about this is that in India, uh, while Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are insanely important as platforms. I, I think that the biggest player here is WhatsApp and because it's end-to-end encrypted and a, a whole lot of communication has actually moved there uh, more so than most other countries in the world. Uh, I, I think it's it's going to be most interesting to see how WhatsApp basically deals with this misinformation and uh, because there's challenges on both sides because WhatsApp itself doesn't know what is being shared on its platform as well as um, uh, the users don't always have a means to verify information because there's no one common news feed there per se. So it's it's nice that these companies are taking steps and it's going to be really interesting to see how, so especially WhatsApp uh, takes this going forward.
2: So in, in the limited uh, context that you can do something on WhatsApp, I think you know, they have partnered with uh, WHO and they've tried to create these uh, chatbot type of things right? uh, that will provide you with, uh, with information. Yeah. But yeah, as, as you said, it, it uh, as, as an ecosystem, WhatsApp is uh, much to to deal with.
0: Do you guys see room for state intervention here? From my understanding,
3: it is inherently in WhatsApp as a platform, there is not a lot of let's say, room in how the state can intervene without, I'd say, significantly altering the nature of the platform itself. So again, as I said, in, in Twitter or on Facebook or on in Instagram, it's, it's a bit easier because there is a common feed where myths can be debunked. And let's say one popular myth has been debunked and it spreads across the feed. It's easier to curb that information. In WhatsApp, there is no particular feed per se. So it's up short of, let's say, sending a text that this particular fact was false. There's not a lot you can do. But to their credit, I I think the WHO is on WhatsApp as a verified entity, as are some Indian departments. So uh, whatever I think can be done at this point is being done. And They're trying to, I think, come up with more, I think, limitations on forwards as well. So a bunch of things are happening, but it's a lot trickier even for the state to intervene because the mechanism to do so doesn't exist. And WhatsApp has been made in a way that sort of inadvertently plugs this whole pandemic into the the worst possible case because so many of the Indians communicate on WhatsApp. It's not conducive to state interventions or platform interventions in a general sense. But just just to add to that, right,
2: even in... uh... The open feed format—it's not necessarily that easy. I think so. There was a study which I think Oxford and Awaz Foundation did. They took pieces of uh, a sample set of content that had been debunked by fact checkers. Uh, I think they found that 60% of it remained up on Twitter. Uh, uh, YouTube did better. I think 27% and uh, Facebook, uh, strangely enough, did the best. 20, only 24% of them stayed up. So it's a challenge, you know, in all senses of the world.
0: So let me ask you a little bit about how these companies are actually doing the content moderation, right? Prateek, you mentioned that about 4,000 articles had been flagged by a team of uh, content moderators affiliated with Google. But 4,000 honestly just feels like a drop in the ocean compared to a sheer volume of stuff that the internet's constantly generating, right? So how exactly are companies scaling up to fight this problem, especially considering that a lot of their content moderators, I assume, now have to work from home, can't come into offices and so on? Yeah, that's that, that's an interesting one. So, uh, in the context
2: of that four thousand articles, right? Uh, the other other statistic there was that they displayed warnings on forty million, right? Uh, but just just to give you context, I think Facebook releases a quarterly of update of how much how many posts they take down, and I think as per the latest information, which goes back one or two quarters, they remove about twelve billion pieces of uh, content per month, right? Uh, as as per that. Uh, Now, to your point about algorithmic moderation, right? So again, Facebook has said it's reducing its reliance on uh, the manual workforce using more automated moderation. Twitter, in their blog post, where they where they mentioned, they didn't necessarily say they're reducing their reliance, uh, reducing the workforce. They said they're transitioning to work from home and they're going to use more uh, algorithmic moderation. Right? It's minor semantic there, but I think the the end the takeaway is that they are going to use more, there's going to be more algorithmic uh, coming up. Now, the problem that that poses at this point in time is that we're not going to see the content that, uh, you know, that should have stayed up and has gone down uh, because of uh, it, because it's been flagged by the algorithmic content, uh, algorithmic uh, moderation and not being reviewed uh, by human moderators who would have then taken a call or whether it actually stays up or, or stays down. Right, uh, and so that that's going to remain remain a challenge, and which is why there's been a call a night before last from about seventy five uh, independent researchers and organisations uh, who put out an open letter to social media companies, asking them to retain all their uh, information, all their data from uh, you know from this period, right? And and they said that. Uh, social media companies have essentially have emergency power right now and they should find a way to retain as much of this information as they can, of course, without violating uh, anyone's privacy uh, to allow for research uh, post fact, so that people can understand how these policies have uh, affected actual information flows uh, at this time. Right? So it, it, at this point, we're, we're still in the middle of things. It's going to be hard to tell exactly how this algorithmic thing is, is playing out. Like, interestingly, I think as soon as Facebook made uh, the announcement, they also hit this. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys recall this, but they hit, They had a bug with their uh, spam identification system and a lot of posts started being uh, marked as uh, marked as spam. right? And people said, oh, immediately that this is linked to the fact that they're moving to algorithmic moderation. Now, to be fair, we don't know what the actual root cause was. They came out and said it was a bug with their spam filter. Uh, which caused a lot of posts to get incorrectly tagged as uh, as spam, including some of the, you know, the Kumar Sambhav uh, posts that he had done uh, the Information Collective, right? Uh, the, the last, the second series that came out, some of those posts were also ta- tagged as uh, as spam. So it, it, it was interesting to see, but yeah, we'd have to see where this goes. We, there, there needs to be uh, future research on this to really understand the, uh, the implications of uh, algorithmic moderation, because at, at this point, we don't know. You know, we don't know what we're not
0: seeing. So the next thing I wanted to ask you guys was actually on the lines of uh, this this flow of information, right? So uh, a company called Graphica has recently come out with an analysis of who are the accounts, who are the people that are generally spreading misinformation related to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, And they found that in a lot of countries across the world, uh, it's mostly right-wing accounts, accounts that are very well connected uh, to right-wing bubbles of social media that tend to be pushing a lot of disinformation. I mean, uh, they had a very interesting statistic which showed that compared to uh, the left-wing, the American right is putting out about 21% more disinformation about uh, the coronavirus on Twitter. Um, So I want to ask you, is the fact that Companies are now disproportionately going to have to crack down on writing accounts, going to change the political environment. So I see that there's a
3: lot to unpack here, essentially, because well, let's start with the US, because in just terms of discourse that has developed more uh, than in India, and I think India is going to develop its own discourse in, a, in the coming weeks. But what has essentially happened in the US is that um, earlier, for the most part, the debate on the virus was was largely scientific or around the policy measures that were being taken to basically curb the spread. So you would have videos of how Wuhan has been completely locked down, or stuff like whether the virus can transmit through water, right? So it's it's very pretty binary. You can say well, the, it can or it can't, or Wuhan has, isn't under lockdown or it, it isn't. Uh, at the same time, so Facebook, let's say, would find it easier to. You know, Eliminate misinformation in that sense. But since that, since I'd say that was two, three weeks ago, uh, I I honestly don't, uh, I'm not doing well with the concept of time right now. But essentially what what has happened is that this whole thing has evolved and it's because of, let's say, Fox News and a bunch of other media entities that have come up with this now narrative of the cure cannot be better uh, than the disease itself. So it has now Sort of fairly divided between partisan lines. So you have a whole bunch of right fingers saying that it is better to open the country up, and the whole argument that I should be free to do whatever I want and not wear, let's say, mask in a grocery store and stuff like this. So generally, this is divided amongst party lines in the U.S. and it's become inherently political. In India, I think it is yet to reach there, but it definitely will. And as as you said, Anirudh, you've We've seen that a lot of right-wing accounts are sharing these tweets a lot more than, let's say, some of the more liberal or left-wing accounts. Um, It's true because we have seen, just in the context of this virus, right-wing accounts have actually been, like, their whole agenda and propaganda has been such that it comes with more cohesiveness. The idea is that your, your freedoms have to be respected and you should be allowed to roam free, you know. Uh, it's your country, especially in the U.S., because uh, as I said, the discourse is far more developed. But yet to see how this will play out in India, because the common messaging, thankfully for India, is that uh, we should still remain under lockdown. It's not so in the U.S. So uh, that is why I think, um, you know, it, it's more, let's say, concentrated the response of the right wing. Uh, in India, I think that we will see in the upcoming few weeks, depending on what the you know, the political parties say, what the prime minister's office says, and of course, what the media decides to accentuate. We' are let's say, 10 days behind the curve in the terms of the media cycle as well. We are a good uh, rule here. So, so we'll see how that develops.
2: BG okay, I have a slight disagreement with that. So you, know, I think uh, just just last week, Under Manoj and me spoke about some of the information operations that were happening uh, in India. So uh, we're starting to see some of those, those currents already, right. And, and this is, but you know, like I said, this just goes on goes to tell you that uh, ultimately everything is political. Uh, initially, this presented, uh, you know, a, a seemingly non-controversial opportunity for uh, for platforms to intervene. But we've seen that as it's gone on, it has become politicized. People are continuing to entrench along certain views, right? Uh, and I think most recently, we've, we've seen with Facebook choosing to take down protest pages for events. I think they, in the US, they were having stay-at-home protests. Or, uh, uh, they were protesting against the stay-at-home orders, rather. Uh, and Facebook has taken down some of those event pages. And has not taken down some of those event pages right so again there's that discussion element coming in I think what they've publicly said is that it depended on whether it the gathering was legal or illegal in that particular state right and this this brings me to an interesting point in the sense that uh, every time you know Facebook Twitter uh, I'm taking their names but essentially all these uh, big tech companies when every time they announce a policy I think it's important for us to uh, to look at it in the lens of you know they might be announcing it with a uh, mainly uh, American or Western European uh, intent, uh, but we have to look at the fact that it has to apply across you know a hundred plus countries in in many many languages, right? Now, now that's not saying that they should never announce new policies, uh, but I think for you know for people who watch these companies, it's important to uh, to look at it from that lens for us to be able to identify potential harms and shortcomings uh, in their policies, which is why in India, right? So we we've seen some of the politicization happened. None none of them have actually put out any numbers. So it's hard to tell how effective this strategy has been with with India so far.
0: Exactly. That's that's a very good point that you've raised, Prateek. The fact that Uh, It seems like Facebook really goes out of its way sometimes to understand the legal context within which it's operating when it comes to content moderation in the US and Europe. But in India, even though India has existing laws against hate speech, social media companies don't seem anywhere near as interested as in cutting down misinformation. And I sometimes wonder why this is. Uh, The uncharitable part of me would would think that it's because uh, it helps get them more engagement, blah, blah, blah. But even in the moment of a pandemic, the fact that this hasn't really materialized uh, makes me think that a lot of this content moderation stuff is meant to play to a Western audience. uh, And there isn't necessarily that kind of seriousness about tackling misinformation in other parts of the world. Why exactly that is, I'm not really sure. And I don't think we know enough to really come to a judgment about that. Uh, but I guess that, that actually brings me to a, a broader question, right? I mean, um, Google uh, has has is, is very proud about the fact that it's a company that uh, does not do evil, right? Whereas Facebook is a company that, uh, that hasn't necessarily shown that same kind of commitment to, upholding broader social values, advancing the cause of humanity as it were. Um, Do you think that responding to this pandemic, do you think that uh, shouldering the responsibility now for uh, potentially deaths in the thousands will change the way that these companies do business? Will it change the way that they approach their responsibility as some of the most powerful organizations in human history?
3: I think that's a great point that you've brought up because company culture, I think, is going to matter a lot here. And as you said, Google is an organization that takes pride in the don't be evil symbol. It, it's the uh, spirit behind that motto that has led Google to take some pretty drastic decisions. Um, for some people might not know this, but just the very attitude of being holier than Tao at Google, it, its the don't be evil motto actually caused Google to pull out of China, which could have been arguably its biggest market if it had you know stayed in. But because the Chinese... State wanted to wanted Google to censor some things, uh, and that went against Google's principle. They, one that was one of the key reasons for Google to pull out of a market of a billion people. And so you see how seriously they have basically taken this particular um, motto in their company's history, right? Uh, as opposed to Facebook, where the idea is to get growth at all costs. So you don't always have to be ethically or morally morally right to achieve that. And, I'm not passing judgment on you know, whether or not they have been ethically right or uh, or morally right, morally right. But generally, what we've seen is that uh, content that gives more engagement, Facebook is more than happy to promote it, and it, it's also highly competitive as a company. So th- just to give you one example, I think it seems like it, it's been ages now; it's a different lifetime. But when Facebook acquired Instagram. Uh, one of the first few meetings that uh, the Instagram founder, Kevin, at the time had was at a lunch with a Facebook team that said that they were, Instagram was acquired and Facebook was now time to kill Instagram using a project called Facebook camera. So you just see how competitive this company is and how growth at all costs is just the spirit that drives it. So it's going to be extremely interesting to see how they handle misinformation during the pandemic because when you know, more effective measures for content moderation began. Um, As I said, the debate was more or less binary, that this is true and this isn't. But as the debate has gotten more political, Facebook will likely have to manage this trade-off on whether to promote more engagement uh, in content because I'm sure ad revenues will fall because not a lot of people have money to spend right now. So ad revenues will take a hit. So we we will see them managing this trade-off for having more engaging content or being ethically right. And it's anyone's guess as to what value will win over in the coming future. But as of right now, it is near impossible to say. But this trade-off, I think, is something that we should keep an eye on, considering uh, how long this thing might last, and the stakes uh, that are very evident.
0: That's a nice way of putting it. It's basically a trade-off between increased engagement in the time of reduced ad revenues, and a broader commitment to... Actually, fighting a pandemic as part of humanity, right? Uh, Prateek, do you have anything to add here?
2: Just maybe a slightly uh, a cynical view. I, I think as uh, uh, it was, I think Casey Newton in the Verge who said that you know because of this the techlash, it hasn't stopped; it has just paused, right? So it, it's going to be interesting to see how you know the, how people view these companies and what they've done now you know, how how they've helped fight the pandemic and, you know, potentially what they've gained from, from that after we've, you know, once we are passed this event. I think that the term that uh, some people are using for, for these kind of things is, uh, is corona washing. Corona washing? Yeah.
0: In, in, can you explain that term? Like you know, like like you you
2: whitewash certain parts. You're you corona washing uh, potentially problematic history by doing something good at this time. Like I said, it, it it's a cynical it's a cynical view.
0: It it is a cynical view, but I mean I, I can see there's there's some merit in it because I see a lot of governments across the world also doing something similar, right? And it's it's very fascinating to see the kind of push and pull that's happening between social media companies and governments. Uh, One interesting thing from the Graphica study that really stood out to me was the fact that across the world, there are very similar narratives being pushed by the right wing. And I think it's important to contextualize them uh, with the fact that a lot of governments across the world now are adopting increasingly nationalist and populist stances and are actively using social media to kind of uh, manipulate uh, domestic public opinion, right? So um, it's it's going to be interesting to see whether the censorship of right-wing misinformation disinformation is actually going to um, lead to a kind of uh, confrontation happening between tech companies and governments or whether tech companies are going to uh, end up basically conceding to governments and uh, helping them basically maintain a certain kind of information environment in in various countries. Uh, But, and on that extremely optimistic note, (laughs) I'd like to thank uh, both of you for joining me, and thank you for listening to All Things Policy.
1: If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.